I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Oh, hello. How are you? Welcome to episode six of the Dangerous Dinners podcast. I'm your host, as always, Tom Green. Hello. How's your week been? How's everything been going on in your life? Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you keeping going? Are you feeling a little bit lockdown-y? I get that. God, I get that at the moment. I'm so ready for this whole thing to end and us to go back to some level of normality. I find I find lockdown really hard. I think I'm one of those people who needs to get out the house and go exploring and see people and play golf and just have a bit of normal life. I do find lockdown very, very stressful. How are you finding it? I think I've had quite a lockdowny week, actually. I think just because there's so much sad news in the world right now, isn't there? Feels like we're just getting more and more divisive, which is sad. But as always, the podcast is here to save the day. I love listening to podcasts. That's my uh, little little escape. Which maybe I guess if you're listening to this is your escape as well. I love like an hour listening to. Um, some of my favourites, like Adam Buxton, a big fan of Adam's podcast, or Louis Theroux's podcast for Radio 4. I like that. Um, who else do I like? I like Rick Shields. He's a golf podcast. That's a really good one. There's a couple of recommendations from me. But yeah, I think it's really important to find the time to sit on your own and have a podcast on and just chill out and have a little bit of you time. You time's important, isn't it? Um, so yeah, shall we, shall we begin? Today's podcast is the ever-fantastic Tom Walker. Whoa. Um, Brit's nominee and Brit's winner, actually. Um, Best British Breakthrough Artist, which is quite hard to say after a few magnas. Best British Breakthrough Artist. Don't say that after you've been to the pub. Um, he's on the podcast today. Tom, I guess everyone knows who Tom Walker is. I will leave a light on was his big song that one so he joins us on the podcast today and we chat about everything um just to let you know because it's going to sound a little bit weird we chat about prince harry in the podcast but this was recorded before the prince harry Meghan markle oprah interview so we we don't just glaze over it it's because it hadn't happened to give that a little bit of context uh we also talk about my favorite drink in this podcast which is magnus mm, do i love magnus uh, it does sound like there's a bit of a Magnus advert in the middle of this. That is not true. There isn't. Although we're we're always looking for sponsorship. Yeah, we've bloody got unsponsored this podcast, which is a damn right shame because those takeaways don't pay for themselves. Am I right, guys? Not wrong. So if you are, hey, if you are the CEO of a successful company and want to sponsor this, huh, just reach out. Reach out and email me. Hello at dangerousdinnerspodcast.com. We got an email. So anyway, Tom Walker. We talk about Magnus. We talk about being backstage at Glastonbury. We talk about a load of fun at the Brit Awards. We talk about meeting Ed Sheeran. He met Ed Sheeran in a studio. That's a thing. Um, Weird gigs with Shaggy and Sting. Um, Getting into the music industry. Busking, Bitcoin, conspiracy theories. Really is a jam-packed hour of chat in your face. Um, if you enjoy this podcast, also, can you please give us a rating? I'd really appreciate that. Scroll down to the bottom, slam five stars, take your top off and scream at the sky. I love the Dangerous Dinners podcast. Uh, you don't have to do that. You can just give us a review if you want. Um, five stars is recommended. It's free after all. Anyway, enough of this. Um, after a sad week, let's all get together and enjoy the company of the ever beautiful. It's Tom Walker. <laughs> The Dangerous Dinners Podcast with your host, Tom Green. One celebrity guest, one spin of the roulette wheel, and a tour of the best and worst takeaways, which are delivering to us tonight. What will it land on? We let fate decide. Upper grabs today, we have the poorly reviewed Kansas Fried Chicken, everybody's favorite, Lahore Karahi. If it all goes wrong, he 
Christmas. But before we do that, it's time to meet our celebrity guest. They're famous, they're funny, and they just arrived downstairs. It's time to bring them up. Please welcome. It's Tom Walker. Hello. <laughs> Hello. How are we doing? How are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Yourself? Really good, man. Really good. Welcome to the Dangerous Dinners podcast. Um, yes. When I first started the podcast, way back a month ago, you were the first name that I put in the diary, but it's oh, taken us this long to sit down. I know. It's amazing how busy life can get when you're not allowed to do anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've been so busy the last couple of months, and I've just been like, why? Everybody else is like, oh man, I'm getting so bored, like on furlough, I'm just getting eight percent of my wage and i'm not doing anything i'm playing xbox and i'm like i've been grinding every day man every day you've been grinding in the virtual studio the zoom studio i've been trying to write songs in a in a very small box uh in in my house uh that i've soundproofed it's kind of like if you would imagine what b and q would create if you asked them to build you a studio (laughs) i have done that um i've been trying to write songs that will inspire people about hope with a mild undertone of depression yes uh during a pandemic so that's definitely been an interesting one for sure so have you got a room in your house or have you got like a garden studio thing no i've got i've got like a room at the back of my house which i've just built like a giant soundproof wall between me and the neighbor and then put some like floating acoustic drops on the roof and on the walls and that kind of thing so it sounds really good actually um now that hopefully the neighbor can't hear anything i think i'm good to go i've been doing some vocals at like four in the morning so and i've not had any complaints yet so i think we're good that is cool isn't it back in the day your neighbor would hoover or shout at the dog and that would annoy you and now it's tom walker laying down the new track yeah to be fair like there's some building work going on next door so i actually have to wait sometimes until the builders <laughs> stop to do a vocal so it's kind of like what can you do you know it's, it's pandemic life isn't it you can't really get to the studio uh, much these days so yeah just doing it all at home do we think madonna has that problem in la no well, it seems kind of all right for Americans at the moment. I was watching this. Um, I've been getting into like cryptocurrency recently. This is a total off-topic thing. I don't know why I've gone here, but anyway, <laughs> I was watching this uh, cryptocurrency video with this guy called Bitboy, and he was in like Vegas yesterday, and like everybody was just out and about in Vegas with masks on, but like getting drunk, playing poker, and I was like, "Why? Why are we? What? What's going on here? Then like we can't even. No, we can only get takeaway coffee. That's about it, really." I said at the start of this bloody podcast, I wasn't going to go off-topic, and already I need to ask you: Is Bitcoin the future? Oh, no idea. No oh. idea. And uh, yeah, I, it's interesting because there's loads of like NFTs and digital art coming about. But basically, like a couple of months ago, I was thinking maybe I should just put like a bit of money in Bitcoin. Yeah. And then I didn't. And then it just went absolutely mad. And then I waited for it to dip down. And I was like, do you know what? I'll just give it a go. I'll buy some of it. And then I'll just leave it for like five years and hope I've not lost some money and maybe I've gained some. That's my plan. I don't really know anything about the space. I've watched a few videos and stuff, but the whole thing is just speculation. It's so annoying. Yeah. <laughs> so like, and everyone just keeps using words like, we're going to Mars or we're going to the moon. <laughs> and I just, I don't know if we are, and I don't think they know either. So I guess we'll just see. Hold. 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 Just hold. <laughs> just hold. Um, do, you, do you know the price that you went in at? Um... Uh, I bought a few times and sold. My idea was like, oh, well, imagine if I could like pay my mortgage yeah. with like being a trader and then realise that I'm, I'm not the wolf of Wall Street and I know nothing <laughs> about trade. Do you know the Lily Allen story about Bitcoin? No. Oh, this is brilliant, Tom. So Lily Allen, I think it was 10 years ago, um, did a gig online and it was in this, it was in like um, Second World or Second something. Right. It was like, do you remember, do you remember RuneScape? Oh, yeah. It's like yeah, that. Yeah. She got offered right, a okay. gig, a gig in that. And they said, we can either pay you £30,000 or at the time, they were like, we'll give you half a million Bitcoin. Oh, my God. She <laughs> chose the £30,000. <laughs> if she'd taken the Bitcoin, she'd be a billionaire today. Oh, my God. I know. I've, heard, I've heard about people who like figured out they had loads of Bitcoin on an old hard drive. And there's yeah. this guy who was like approaching the council to try and go and look <laughs> through like a dump for a hard drive he'd put in the bin 15 years ago and they wouldn't give him permission <laughs> i was just like that's crazy but yeah who knows who knows we'll see it's exciting though second story I mean. about bitcoin real quick oh yeah when i saw it. my parents the other day i spoke to my dad yeah. and my dad uh, my dad bought bitcoin do you remember there's that christmas where it all went through the roof yeah my yeah, dad yeah. bought bitcoin there but he pulled it out about a year <gasps> about a year and a half about half a year ago he pulled no. so he put a grand in he pulled out 10 grand 
spoke to him last week. He said if he'd left it in, he'd have £85,000 now. Oh, my. this is the thing. That's because I was like, I was like trying to buy on the lows and sell on the highs. I made about <laughs> 300 quid doing this. And I was like, this takes so much effort. And I'm not writing songs at the moment. I'm just looking at like these <laughs> boring charts of Bitcoin rising and falling. Yeah. So I was just like, right, I'll just put money in it and I won't look at it and I'll leave it five years and we'll just see what happens. <sighs> Very clever, man. Um, well, Tom Walker, welcome to the Dangerous Dinners podcast. I've written a introduction for you. Would you like to hear it? Absolutely. Okay, here we go. Mistaken for both Ed Sheeran and Prince Harry in his time, but in, <laughs> but in my opinion, he's far more exciting than both of them. He right. is the 2019 Brits British breakthrough artist, more than 1 billion streams online. 11 weeks his debut album sat in the UK top 10. He has two platinum hits to his name, and it feels like really he's only just getting started, and he's got a beard to rival my own. It's Tom Walker. That was beautiful. That was poetry <laughs> in motion. I especially like the Ed Sheeran bit and, <laughs> and Prince Harry. <laughs> this was true though, right? You got mistaken for Prince Harry once, or is this a lie? Uh, no, I did in a in a newspaper in like a, like a, an actual newspaper. I can't remember what it was, like the Sun or something. And they were like Prince Harry, and it was a whole article about Prince Harry. But they just put a picture of me. I'm just like, <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> How could you mistake me for Prince Harry? When's the last time you saw royalty wearing a beanie? You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen it. But now Harry's in LA. It may happen. Yeah, he's getting about now, isn't he? Uh, now that he's home and free and living his own life. Um, uh, have you watched the James Corden interview with him? I have not, no. God, I did see it earlier on YouTube and I, I nearly gave it a watch, but then I started watching more cryptocurrency videos. <laughs> <laughs> Hold! Hold! <laughs> um, right, so Tom, this is how the next hour is going to work. I've got a giant roulette wheel behind me. Whatever it lands on, we're going to eat this evening. Is there anything that you don't want? I've heard you're a takeaway fan. Oh, mate, who doesn't like takeaway? I mean, it's awesome. Uh, it's You know, sometimes you regret it the next day, but uh, I'm a big fan of takeaway. And I'm not really... Uh, the only thing I, don't re- I really don't like is peas. Everything <laughs> else I'm pretty much good with. <laughs> what a niche takeaway that would be if we only got peas. <laughs> I know, I know. That would be a real niche takeaway. (laughs) It it probably exists in East London somewhere, doesn't it? Probably. Everything's based on pea proteins or something. (laughs) Um, I'd not be into that. So that's my only thing. Everything else, I'm good. Well, luckily for you, Tom, we've not got peas on the wheel tonight. We have got kebabs, wings, fish and chips, pizza, dirty fried chicken, posh takeaway, hot curries, meze, chips, Chinese, Mackey's and a KFC. Oh, wonderful. Would you like me to spin the wheel and find out what we're having for dinner tonight, Tom Walker? Oh, let's do it. Let's do it. Count me in. Okay. Three, two, one. Spin that wheel. Oh, I'm loving that legitimate noise as well. That's proper danger. <laughs> and tonight, Tom Walker, we're going to be having dirty fried chicken and chips. Yes, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm, I, I was literally thinking when he said fried chicken, I was like, oh, is it going to be fried chicken? That'd be great. <laughs> But this isn't the nice sort of Nando's-y uh, KFC. I'm going low-quality fried chicken here tonight. I like it. What, what, what's uh, the name of this establishment this evening? Tonight, yeah. we're going to be having fried chicken. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I used to eat that a lot when I was a student, actually, back in the day. What do you fancy? To, I guess it is sort of up to you now we're here. It does have to be dirty fried chicken, but do you want wings? Do you want a burger? What's the sort of thing? I think, right, I'm going to go in because I've not eaten for this podcast because I knew we were getting a fat takeaway. Yeah, so I'm it, ready. I, I want like five wings, a chicken burger, and like you choose the chips, like whatever chips they've got. Okay, okay, great. So tonight, Tom, six wings, one fries, one drink, two dips, mayo and burger sauce, and a chicken burger. Does that sound good? That sounds epic, epic. There you go, the food's ordered. Amazing, amazing. Oh, what a drink. I've, I've got a Magnus tonight as well, so this feels like proper takeaway vibes. I've got four ciders in the fridge, actually, so if you're going to start drinking, I wasn't going to, but if somebody else is drinking, I will have to be drinking. Do you want to go and get it just- now? Yeah, I'll go and get you. Yeah. I thought you'd never ask. Yeah, no, I'll just entertain the people while you go <laughs> no, in. You entertain the people, I'll get a bevy. Yeah, cheers, <laughs> cheers, cheers, cheers. Oh, there's nothing better. Now, this is going to sound like an advert, but it isn't. There's really nothing better than an ice cold cider. On a Tuesday evening. Um, Magnus is my preference, not a Bulmers. I like it ice cold. I feel like I drink those a lot, but I think it's also because I love sugar so much. Right. My... Oh, you're back. I'm back. What it's have so you... cold as well. What cider have yes. you got? I've got Thatcher's Gold. Oh, lovely. My missus is allergic to gluten, so having beer around... Like, if I have beer and I kiss her, she might have an allergic reaction. <laughs> She's that sensitive to gluten. Like, Christ. 
She's celiac, so I've had to start drinking cider. And actually, it's way better, to be honest. I mean, it's got a lot of sugar in it, but it's delicious. I think that's why I like it. You'd miss that because I was just explaining to the listeners. I think it's the sugar is the reason I like it. It's like a Rio or something, isn't it? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> From when you were a kid or a little. Or like an um, Umbongo. Do you remember them? Oh, yeah, they were good. They were good. What was the other one as well? Um... With the blue packet, Rubicon. Oh, oh Rubicon's still on. Me and my girlfriend had a conversation last night about Sunny D. Oh, so good. It's not as good as it was when we were kids. It had way more sugar in it when we were kids. Totally. Um, there's a rumour that someone turned orange drinking Sunny D. I don't know if that's true. I, I want know, it to be true. I know. I feel like I Googled it like a very long time ago and there was a picture of an orange kid and I was like, is he actually orange from the Sunny D though? Or like, you yeah, know what's going on there? Yeah, it's like what, whatever happened to the guys from the Kellogg's advert, We're gonna t- it's going to taste great. It's there was a lot of rumours about like, him as well. There was a lot of rumours about him. I hope those weren't true. They, they were dark. They were actually. About that guy. Yeah, they, they were, were dark. dark. Sorry, we've done all the internet conversations tonight. Bitcoin and conspiracy theories. Yeah. <laughs> Sunny D. We're hitting all the main points you need to hit in a podcast, I feel like. Do you believe in any conspiracy theories, by the way? No. I mean no. I just think it's it's like people who are going around going, they're trying to put chips in you for this vaccine. I'm like, mate, what have you got in your pocket? It's a phone that like tracks everywhere you go, it knows everything you do. Like you've already got that thing that you're really worried about getting in your in your pocket, like at all times. I agree. <laughs> you know with what that. I mean? The anti-vaxxers, I don't get that. That's weird. No, people like burning down five G towers because they think it's spreading <laughs> out Corona. I mean, it's just it's just absolute madness. Yeah, Did- I feel like there's a one downside to the internet is that a group of idiots can get together and just start believing all of their idiocy together, and then their their strength in numbers just develops, and then people are like, well, all these people have said this thing. It's like yeah, the flat like- Earth thing. I know, and it's always someone's uncle in it. It's like, well, <laughs> Uncle Terry, Uncle Terry said that you know from from Barbara's cousin's wife that she saw like a spaceman, and you're just like, shut up, shut up please shut up. Shut up. <laughs> um, Tom, should we actually do our job and actually do an interview? I feel like we've had a ridiculous twenty minutes so far. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> now, strong start, <laughs> real strong start. Now, Tom Walker, born in Scotland but grew up in Manchester. And here's a tough question: Are you a Mank or are you a Scot? Oh. That's a good question. I think I'm both, to be honest. Like, I've got when I was growing up in my house, my parents were Scottish, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> they, Glasgow. They, they're still they're still Scottish, just to uh, just to confirm that. Um, so they had they had a proper thick Scottish accent, and I speak to them in a Scottish accent. Like, I speak to my dad on the phone in a Glaswegian accent. Like, I switch accents. I don't even think about it. People, when I go on the phone to my family, think I've got some kind of split personality disorder because um, I just turn into like a Scottish person. So I grew up in a very Scottish household, and then when I went to school, I was just with loads of northern kids and just started speaking in a northern accent to them and Scottish at home. And this is when I was like four, so I didn't really consciously make the decision. It just kind of happened. So. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely both. I watched an interview with you today with Lorraine, and I thought you sounded more Scottish on that one. Oh my God, so that that was the maddest thing, right? It was weird. Lorraine reminds me so much of my mum. It's a bit (laughs) scary. She's just so lovely and so chatty and just so nice. And I remember that interview... I started the in- the interview off in English because I was like, well, I'm in a TV studio in London and like I was just talking to loads of English people. Walked on, started talking to her in English and then halfway through the interview, I just switched into a Scottish accent without realising. It's mad. And I watched the interview back and I was just like, that must have confused so many people that halfway through that interview. <laughs> people who didn't know me must have been like, is he taking a piss out of the race? <laughs> She's a national treasure. She is. What's he doing, this bloke? Yeah, exactly. Who's this dickhead? Were your parents strict? I've got an idea in my head about what a Glaswegian parent would be like. And it's probably very stereotypical. Do you know what? My parents are so sound. Like, so, so sound. I had loads of mates whose parents were super strict. And they just turned out to be the naughtiest kids. Because as soon as they got outside the house, they were just like, Oh my God, I'm free. And I'm going to be really naughty. I'm going to set fire to a fence. (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, there was my parents were so chilled. They were like... Go out, do whatever you want. As long as you call us, it's all good. If you want to stay at someone's house, it's all good. Like, just let us know, like, what you're doing, basically. And, yeah, it was just so chilled, man. They're, they're so lovely and supportive and, and nice. Um. Also, I, before we move on from, like, early childhood, you were quite ill growing up, right? You, you spent a lot of time in hospital over your first few years. The NHS sort of saved your life to a degree. Yeah, 100%. So when I was... Before I was born... My mum had put a little bit of weight on at Christmas, right, one year. I mean, it happens to the um, best of us. Yeah, for sure. Or just before Christmas, on the lead up, loads of Christmas pies and stuff, just before I was born. 
And they were a little bit concerned because it was like slightly out of a margin of what it should be. So they scanned me and then they figured out in that scan that my kidneys weren't functioning properly. Um, and then when I was born, I went immediately into surgery and they fixed it then and there. And if they hadn't noticed it, it could have caused some like real problems down the line. But they, they caught it straight away, fixed it. But I've spent like the first kind of year of my life like in and out of hospitals a lot um then making sure it was all cool obviously i can't remember any of this whatsoever no. so you know the, the main the main time i was really ill in my life i've got no recollection of it so um uh, but yeah for sure like my mom was always going on about how amazing the nhs were and how she's so grateful they they were extra careful and got her checked and stuff so yeah happy days um how would you oh, yeah. describe teenage tom walker take us there oh man i was um oh teenage tom walker i think in high school i was a bit i was a bit of the odd one out i was super heavy in high school i think i was like probably i was probably nearly like 18 stone when i was like 15 and i was i wasn't i was quite short so i was a bit a bit of a like a kind of chubby mosher i dyed my hair black at one point it was right down to my shoulders i loved playing guitar i had this really spiked bc rich guitar that had skull and crossbones all over it and i used to love absolutely shredding um so yeah a bit of the odd one out i guess i just loved music and spent all my time in my bedroom playing guitar basically how did you feel about your weight at that point was that a thing for you or it didn't really affect you because i know i was a slightly chubby kid growing up and i think it's crazy how far i look back into my life and i felt it even in like primary school or high school i had this feeling i was like okay i'm a bit chubby than everyone else and i'm like man that's so sad i'm a kid yeah for sure no i definitely did man like i've struggled with weight my whole life like certain people can like the drummer in our band for example all he does is eat loads of pastries and crap all the time drink beers every day on tour and that kind of thing and he's just like as thin as a rake could never put on a pound but like if, if i'm not super careful i start putting on weight like ridiculously quickly so it's like the cycling thing if i go out like four four times a week on the bike it'll be like okay cool i won't put any, i won't put any weight kind of thing yeah. so but it's been like that my whole life. I've just yo-yoed up and down from uh, kind of fat to mediumly fat to <laughs> fat again. <laughs> I've never, I don't think I've been skinny since I was about six years old. <laughs> Did you make a conscious decision? Because you're not 18, I mean, I've not seen you recently, but you're not 18 stone now, right? Did you choose, did you make a conscious decision to lose weight? Uh, yeah, I mean, when I first moved to London, when I was like 19, I stopped driving my car as much. I think that really was why I was quite I was quite lazy. And when I got my car when I was 17, I was like, I'm just going to drive everywhere now, like to the corner shop that's like five minute walk. Yep, definitely going to drive there. Yeah. No problem. When I initially moved to London, I lost loads of weight. But uh, touring's like really difficult because obviously, especially in the early days of touring where you've got no money, you just live in every day on like sandwiches and after the show, loads of cheap beer. And then, like four years of doing that, it's you're trying to keep your weight down. Even though you're doing shows for like or like an hour and twenty minutes long, you know, like really singing your heart out, dancing about the stage, um, it can still get you. So yeah, I've just got to be careful. Um, I'm not definitely not the biggest I've ever been at the moment. I'm definitely not the thinnest either. So uh, I think if you come out of lockdown in that mentality, which is I'm not the worst and I'm not the best, I think you've done yeah. well because my God, you. I think we all need to remember. We're in a bloody global pandemic right now. So anything that goes alongside surviving, I think, is you doing pretty well right now. I think if you've not put on five stone, you can pat yourself on the back <laughs> for this pandemic. I think I'm getting I'm I think I'm getting to that five stone point, but I don't need to worry about that right now. We're nearly through. That could be something to do with this podcast that you've started. Damn it! <laughs> I knew this was a bad idea. I live with both I don't know why I've put on so much weight. Oh, it's the dirty fried chicken that yeah. is on its way to us right now. It's the six chicken wings chicken burger and a large fries. <laughs> so you went down to London with college or university to do music stuff, right? Yeah. So when I was um, when I was nineteen, I moved down to London uh, to do a degree in songwriting. I actually applied for the guitar course, but they were like, "Nah, you're, you're not good enough for the guitar course." And oh, I was what? like, "Oh, oh Christ!" Right, okay. Um, but they were like, because they asked us to send like some demo stuff, and I'd sent like a few songs that I'd done that had guitar on, but I'd also like done a bit of singing. And they were like, we've, "And I didn't know this at the time." They offered, "We've actually got a songwriters course." And uh, to be honest, I much preferred doing that. Like that's what I wanted to do, but I didn't even know it was on offer. So that was kind of a blessing in disguise, I think, uh, accidentally ended up on the songwriting course. And I guess up to that point, you'd been in bands, but I'm right in thinking that you weren't the front man. You were sort of the backing singer, guitar guy up until that point. Yeah, yeah. I'd always been in bands, but I'd always been like this kind of singer number two. And 
I, do you know what? I love playing in bands so much. Like, if it had been up to me, I would have been in a band, but, like, everybody else in the band kept falling out with everyone. You know oh, what no. I mean? And I was yeah. just like, this is such a mission. Like, I had such a passion for it. Like, I would have given up anything to do what I'm doing now, and I, I would just be like, right, well... We're just going to have to make rehearsal happen. We'll have to find the money for the rooms. And, like, everybody didn't have that level of determination of of trying to make it happen and believing in it for, like, a long time. So I just kind of ended up being like, do you know what? I'm just going to do this on my own. And and at the time, I could play drums and bass and I could produce and I could sing. And I was like, I can do all these things on my own. And I know it's a bit of a stereotype question because I've watched a lot of your interviews now and I don't want to commit to the stereotypes about an artist like you with a certain look who's a sort of singer-songwriter. And I don't want to say the B word, the busking word, but it oh, is right. there is some truth in that, right? You did do a lot of the pub gigs sort of out there grafting is that fair Yeah, for sure oh man i played so many shows to like no people and busked in london which is so hard because i didn't have a license the waiting list was just ridiculously long yeah and i kept getting moved on by these little <laughs> security cards sorry for <laughs> no you can these swear on this <laughs> all right wonderful these bloody security cards who were like literally hired just to like move you on and i was like mate i'm just out here like trying to make like 20 quid like to replace the batteries in my amp that i've bought for busking you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. um so that was just really hard like setting you have to have you have to have a license everywhere in london like on the tube like anybody you'll see who's busking is like they've got they've got to have paperwork to do it otherwise a t- like a, t- a member of staff from the tube station will immediately just be like nah get out of it mate i mean these um, days half of the buskers in london you can pay with card these days 100 percent. i mean yeah and good on them do you know what totally who, who carries cash these days no like, one it's, it's bad news isn't it so yeah absolutely i, I, I love busking it's, i never really made any money for it. it definitely wasn't viable i had to get a job eventually doing something i was giving out i've done some some absolutely random jobs in london so you went to you went to uni and then you did the songwriting course how did the first album come about because i think how old are you are you 29 yeah 29 yeah i think so yeah, yeah. you're a yeah, few yeah, years older than December. me so what was the gap between the first album and the uni thing well yeah I, it seems like it wasn't long at all basically i took a year out after uni in london just really trying to make my way and get somewhere eventually one of my tutors he had sent uh, one of my tunes to a manager that he knew and then that manager got in contact with me and i met him and it's still my manager now simon and once I met him, it opened so many doors. Like you just realise that the industry is so small, and when when you're trying to get into it, nobody wants to hear it, man. Nobody wants to know anything about it. Like you've got to prove yourself before anybody wants to listen to you, which is really impossible to do if you think about it. Yeah. How can you prove yourself before you've had the opportunity to? But as soon as I met Simon, I got I started getting in all these writing sessions, and I just absolutely loved it. Writing for other people, writing for myself, and I had like a small vision of what I wanted this album to be. So me and Simon spent like a year getting some stuff together. Then we went to a label and I actually signed to the first label that showed any interest in me. <laughs> like, which is so stupid. Is that like, what you're you supposed to do? Definitely not. No, shop shop about and make sure you're getting the right thing because mm. it could have ended in absolute tears, to be honest. And and I know people who, who have like shopped about and, and still haven't quite made the right choice. And it's really hard to know like what people are going to be like after two years of working on a project and yeah. how invested they're still going to be if it isn't going right all the time. But I've been super lucky with, um, with my label release relentless they've been awesome and when you look back at that project now which is a good few years ago yeah it was actually two years uh yesterday since i released the album wow yeah i know how do you, that time's gone either how do you feel about it because i've listened to a lot of it today and i've heard it a lot already and it was nice to go back and revisit it and it's such a piece of work that and i don't want to put words into your mouth but surely you're just still so bloody proud of it because it's great yeah, I'm I'm super proud of it, man. Like it's a lot of people think it's like, oh, from when you meet your label, that's when you start writing songs for your first album. That's so not true. It's like the minute you picked up your guitar, you know, when I was 12 years old, like that is when I started kind of getting ideas together. Not that ended up on the album, but like everything was working towards that goal of like be able to put out a body of work that is well received by fans and and your label and and yourself you know i was really proud of that record i put absolutely everything into it now i don't play an instrument well i do i play guitar but very badly but i imagine there is a beautiful thing about being on stage with a live band as it almost feels like it's intuitive like you don't need to it just all comes together into this beautiful thing that i imagine 
what really good surfing must feel like. It's just such a beautiful, flowing thing. Yeah, when you get it right and you have a, a great show, uh, it's like the most magical feeling in the world. Like when we did, we did Glastonbury, the last Glastonbury, and we'd spent weeks working on that set and every single gig we did we were just running the glass set because <laughs> i was like right we're going to get this right and we'll change it after every gig like bits we didn't like and there's so much pressure to get um a, a big stage on glastonbury um right a lot of people are watching the world is watching on telly the labels watching everybody's watching and we smashed it man and so many people showed up to come and see it and the energy in the John Peel tent, it was just, oh, it was absolutely electric. And I watched it back and I, again, I'm so self-critical. Like, I normally hate listening to myself sing back. It's really odd. But I was watching that back and I was just like, what an achievement that gig was. And all the work and all the time we put into it really paid off. And those are the the moments, like, you're with your band in the moment doing a guitar solo off the end of the stage, tra- crowds cheering, <laughs> everybody's, like, high energy, like... There is nothing in life that is better than those moments to me. There's nothing. And this may not be true, but I read this. Is it true that you bought Glastonbury tickets one year, but then went and played? Mate, I bought... It was that year. Oh, wow. It was that year I bought Glastonbury tickets. Because I was like, I'm not chancing it. If they don't offer it me, I'm going to Glastonbury. Um, and I won't take any other festivals that weekend. But we ended up do- we ended up doing six gigs in one weekend. That's so which was sick. absolutely insane. But it was it was amazing, and every one of them was just so much fun. And that particular Glastonbury was amazing because the weather was just so good. Like, I would go as so far as good. saying that it was a bit too hot that year. Oh my yeah. god, it was warm. It was hot, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. for sure. I don't. I don't mind sweating at a festival if I've got a if I've got a cider cider in one hand and a little cheeky ciggy in the other. I don't <laughs> smoke anymore, but at the time, I definitely liked a, a cheeky ciggy at a festival. But well, what's uh, yeah, your I'll be happy. what's the artist experience like at Glastonbury? What's it? Is it amazing? Do you is you are you ferried around? Have you got your special areas? That's what I want to know about. <laughs> Do you know what? Um, Oh, I've got to be careful about what I say here. Okay. Uh, Glastonbury is like the most magical festival to play in the entire world. But in terms of like hospitality backstage, uh, some of the European festivals are like, you can't imagine what you're seeing backstage. Okay. Like the catering is like Michelin star chefs and they've got like people just set up to like give you a massage or whatever <laughs> you want. Like at Glastonbury, it's like, it's properly English. It's like, right, there's a couple of signings over there, lad. Uh, cater- <laughs> here's some catering tokens. Uh, you know, you can get some like bangers and mash and uh, the cider's in a, like a bucket over there. Help yourself and uh, have a good gig, yeah? Which I, I think's absolutely great. Like, that's amazing. But um, some of these like festivals in, oh, I think we did one in Montreal and it was just wow. like the backstage. We didn't leave the backstage area, which I normally I'll go, I'll go walking around the festival and take in the festival. But at this festival, I was just like, well, I'm not leaving here because this is the best backstage area I've ever seen in my life. Like, there's like somebody <laughs> over there giving massages out. There's like the, the number one fried chicken stand in the whole of montreal has turned up to cook fried chicken for everybody it was absolutely outrageous why move exactly oh i think your food may be here is it right. or about so, like, to be here oh food has been delivered oh my missus must i'm in the studio so it's actually really soundproof um i'll go and grab the go food and have a look and in my, I'll, I'll either that or it's been left at a wrong address but tom i think it's there <laughs> right i'll investigate i'll be back 
So listen out for the door. I know. I know you've got a takeaway coming for your podcast. I was like, yeah, no worries, darling. I'll hear the door. Did not hear. Did the not door. hear the door. So Tom, talk <laughs> us through what you've got. Right. So I've got uh, six wings. Yes. One peri peri salt chips. Uh, one Pepsi. A mayo. A burger sauce and a chicken burger. That's such a bloody good order. That is a good order. I've not had chicken in the longest time. Are we allowed to say what it is? I'm the get, all these are getting beeped, but yeah, no, not right. really. It's just, it's that sort of, everyone knows the sort of fried chicken place it is. It's yeah. um, it's not your high quality, but no. I got a lot of love for it. Mm. Yeah? That's delicious. Oh, good. It's exactly what you want. And yeah. you know and you know what? It was cheap. And that makes me very happy. <laughs> I've just looked at the receipt as well. <laughs> we did well tonight, Tom. We've done alright, lad. We've done alright. Now, when did you when did you know that that first album was becoming a bit of a success? Because it spent eleven weeks in the UK top ten. And that's a pretty pretty amazing. Was there a moment where you go where you sort of went, Oh, we're doing alright here? Well you do this thing nowadays where <laughs> oh, sorry, the, like, spicy oh, killed you. the spicy chicken wings are getting me. <laughs> you do these things where um, you get people to kind of pre-order the album. So you've got like a vague idea of how many pre-orders you might have. Um, well, I don't, but the label like somehow knows these things. And they were like, well, I think I think it's, it's looking all right. It's looking good. But I was like, I'm not believing anybody. This album is number one until it says number one on that chart and I can see it. And that was just when it went number one. We had this massive party, this huge, huge party, and it was so epic. And everybody who's kind of been involved in helping making the album came down. I invited all my friends down from up north, and we just got absolutely hammered and just partied <laughs> late into the morning. We went to one of my friends' bars. He was working at at the time, had like a complete lock in. Sick. Uh, and uh, I had to get up the next day. I say I had to get up. I didn't go to bed. Yes. And I had to do a gig in France the next day. Oh. So I hopped on the Eurostar. Bearing in mind, it wasn't a late night gig. It was like a 11 a.m. promo gig. So I'm on the phone to my manager at like 6 a.m. Like, look, mate, I'm not going to make this gig. It's going to be a Paris. tough one. I'm not going to do it. And he was like, you've got to do it. Like, they've put massive billboards outside the store in the centre of Paris where <laughs> you're playing today. You have to go. And I was just like doing everything to try and get out of it. What a normal person would have done is just turned their phone off and been like, why have my management booked a gig the day after my, my yeah. album? Screw <laughs> them. In fact, screw them. That? Yeah. What that's, but I didn't. So I got on and I, and I did that. It was a six song set to literally like a hundred people in a record store. Um, and it was one of the hardest gigs I've ever done in my life. It was that. so challenging, but good story at least now you going number one in the uk um fires off one of my favorite questions which is i want your most showbiz moment oh man showbiz moment what's your most and i don't listen i don't want down to earth tom walker i want rock and roll a-list tom walker i think just probably the brits after party not the one where i won the brit the, the one after that yeah, because um, when I won the Brit, I was with the, I was at the after party with my parents, so I had to be slightly more reserved than I might have been. But it was just amazing to have my parents there, like so cool. Like when I won it, um, we were on the thirty fifth floor of the Shard, looking over London. I was with my mum and dad, just like, can you believe this is happening? Um, but the one after that, where I got nominated, but I didn't win anything, so I immediately just got absolutely pissed. <laughs> the after party was amazing. Like Rag and Bone Man was there, Harry Styles was there, and I was just going around again with all of my best mates getting completely hammered back in the hotel room uh four of us all decided to get in the bath together yes. for no apparent reason an hour after that i had to be in like radio one oh, I like smoking in the hotel room and everything i felt like <laughs> such a rock and roll star it was amazing <laughs> <laughs> i felt like i was in the who or something do you know what i mean i was <laughs> like, getting, in the, getting in the bathtub smoking in the bath drinking the beers we emptied the mini bar yeah. like we were looking through the brits brag tearing out all the stuff like oh look at all this free stuff <laughs> Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> and then you were over to Grimmy's show the next... Was it Grimmy or was it... No, it being Greg, I guess. Greg James breakfast on Radio 1. It was Greg James, but yeah. the, so they they made me go to that thing, right? And then they did the whole thing where like Radio 1 had like, kidnapped him or something. So mm. I turned up and he wasn't there. And oh, everybody yeah, was that. really confused because they, <laughs> they hadn't told the people on the show yeah. what had actually happened because they wanted it to sound genuinely mysterious. But of course, he hadn't been kidnapped by like some... 
you know, a celebrity kidnapper. He'd been kidnapped by, by Radio 1, so they knew it was going to happen. And I was yeah. just like, you've got me all the way down here. I've still not slept. I'm wearing goddamn sunglasses in the you- studio. <laughs> People that see my eyes. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Where's Greg? <laughs> <laughs> I was on I was on breakfast that day. I was doing the Kiss FM breakfast show that next day and yeah. I dragged Ella Air with me. I got Ella oh, on Oh amazing. I dragged Ella um, <laughs> to do the show with me. But I actually got sent home from that after party because I was so pissed. No way, really. Yeah, I was That's at an I, I went to the same party you were at and I was mm. in bed by midnight because I was so drunk. Oh that's it's a bit a, embarrassing. That's- that's an achievement, lad. I Thanks. Like it. I bet you were fresh as anything for that show. The oh, next day. it was so bad. I remember. I remember one of my parting blows of that um, of that after party was walking past a rag and bone man and just going, "You're rag and bone man," and walking off. <laughs> what am I doing? I'm always like that with celebs. To be honest, people are like, "So are you like mates with loads of celebs?" And I'm like, "Nah," because I'm like properly awkward <laughs> i don't think there's that many northern celebs really uh in the scene to be honest i feel like i'm a bit of an odd one out when it comes to that yeah did you do a weird private gig for jamie oliver yeah i did so random i heard about this um he's such a nice dude by the way he like messaged me the other day like how you doing man how's things in the pandemic how's the album going like are you, you holding in all right how's the missus I was just like, what a nice guy. Like, as if Jamie Oliver's texted me to see how I'm doing. That's like, so nice. He, genu- he genuinely is just such a nice person. He asked me to do this gig because he was putting on, like, this little small event for him and a few of his friends and his family. And he was like, look, will you come down, play a few songs, and uh, a free meal? Obviously, it's one of Jamie Oliver's mates. The chef's, like, absolutely ridiculous. And it was this, like, six-course meal that me and my missus got to go to. And yeah. we were sat on Jamie's table, like, my missus could not believe it. This is sick. And he'd, like, paid for the hotel and paid for us to come down. And all I had to do was, like, play a couple of tunes, which is, like, what I love doing, to a load of lovely people in a small restaurant. And then we just spent the evening getting drunk with Jamie and eating loads of nice food. And uh, he got this, this ridiculous hotel... And at the end of it, it was like, right, well, I owe you a favour now. So if you ever if you ever need anything or you want me to cook you anything or, or anything like that, you just holler me. So I'm saving that goddamn favour. I don't know what I'm saving it for, but I think I'll know the moment that I'm calling Jamie in for that favour. Hold on. You're, are you engaged? Uh, I am engaged, but I'm not married yet. I think asking him to cater the wedding might be a bit too far. I don't though. think like, it is. I don't think it is. I think you a, ask him. I think you say it. <laughs> there's a favour and... <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a logistical nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, I want my you to get like, to my goddamn so wedding. <laughs> my mum's convinced he's coming back round to cook Christmas dinner one year, and I'm like, I'm not asking the man to give up his Christmas to come and cook for us, mum. <laughs> that that would be a great way of him returning the favour, though, wouldn't it? That's so lovely. Oh yeah, hundred um, percent. Have you got have you got a standout pinch yourself moment as well? Slightly different, I guess. Maybe a moment where you met a hero or. Just something that's really going to stick with you forever. Does it have to be good or can it just be really weird? No, can make it, it weird, weird, Tom. The weirder the better. So I'm such a massive fan of the police, right? I'm a huge fan of them. I love Sting. And I had the opportunity to meet him, but I was like, do I want to potentially ruin something for myself? I'm not saying anything bad about Sting, but I've got this p- perfect image of Sting in my mind of who he is. Yeah. And what he's like. It's how I feel about Chris Moyles. Yes, I love Chris Moyles as well. I saw because you got a picture of him on your Instagram. I've actually re- I've read both of his autobiographies so out of the very the, the small amount of books that I've read in my life. And I thought they were great. That's mental, um, by the way, Tom. That you read Chris Moyles' autobiography. I love Chris Moyles. I loved Me him too. growing up. I thought he was great on radio. Everyone used to like, oh, he doesn't play enough music. But I was like, yeah, but he's jokes. He's like, he's so good. He was he was such a great presenter to go to school totally. in the car. I, I thought he was like perfect. Sorry, I've, I've um, interrupted you. Your sting anecdote for a Moyles anecdotes not, not yeah that. yeah so i was at this festival and sting was there but he was with shaggy and him <laughs> and shaggy were like doing this gig and it was really odd and it was a mix of like sting songs and shaggy songs and then sting and shaggy had written a song together and it was <laughs> a weird thing of like what? sting up on stage like playing his bass and singing like he always does and then like shaggy just like gyrating <laughs> really saucily next to Sting. And I just thought the combo was so weird. I was like, who's put this together? This is mental. 
So I had the opportunity to meet Sting and Shaggy because after they came off stage, I was watching this from the side of stage and I was just like, I'm not going to ruin the illusion, man, because it's weird enough that I've just seen like Shaggy gyrating right next to Sting playing bass. I'm just going to leave it for the day. But that was one of the weirdest things I've definitely ever seen in my career, but also one of the best. This is a nice point to actually uh, change tact ever so slightly because my girlfriend works in music, but she works on like, like music writers and stuff. I feel like I've got to know it a little bit. And you've been working with Steve Mack. My oh, God. Mate. Only now, yeah. I, like, listen, Steve Mack yeah. is the best of the best. You, that is, must be a great thing, because it's not easy to get in a room with him. It's not easy, you know, not at all. Um, he's he's one of the best writers in the UK at the moment. Like, yeah. that's just a fact. He he, 100% is. Um, you know, he's he's worked with Ed Sheeran. He's he's worked with Westlife for God's sake. Like every time you come out of his bathroom in the, in the studio, there's a big plaque that says Westlife, 42 million albums Ooh. sold. I'm just like, are you kidding me? 42 million. So yeah, man, he's he's one of the all-time greats. A great mel- melody writer and and just such a, such fun to work with. Did he introduce you to Ed Sheeran, or is, is that am I, am I making that up? <laughs> no, oh, you've done your research, you haven't you? I, I like know my it. stories. <laughs> um, oh man, it was so weird. So I don't know, I don't know what the, what the setup was, but basically, Ed had said, uh, sorry, not Ed, Steve had said, me and Ed have been working on this song. Uh, Ed's not sure if he wants to use it. Do you want to do you want to come in and jump on it and maybe listen to it? And I was like, mate, absolutely. That sounds like a sick idea, hundred um, percent. And then I came into the studio and Steve hadn't mentioned anything about him being there, so I just thought I was coming in to just see Steve, like your your average day. And I'm such an idiot because I was looking through the glass, like between the kind of waiting room and the studio bit. I was looking through, and bear in mind he'd explained all this to me. And I was looking through, thinking, wow, God, that guy in the studio, he looks just like a chip. <laughs> I wonder who that Steve's working with. That's, that's so weird. And then he just pops out and he's like, you're right, Tom. I was like, wow, what is what is happening? And I'm such a big Ed Sheeran fan. Like, when I first did that um, that degree uh, in songwriting, uh, I had to do an eight-week theory course because I was so poor at music theory. And every week I was getting the train up and down once a week. And when I was on that train, I was listening to his uh his first album the kind of what was the mixtape one called that he did with oh, all the english rappers on it yeah the uk rappers. that was like with, with example on wasn't it yeah because he just put out a new one the other day um collaborations project projects yeah that's number the one. five i think yeah. it was yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and i love that because i never heard like a classic singer songwriter folk artist mix with like rappers and i was like this is such an amazing combo because he kind of had hip-hop beats but it also had folk guitar and a few like little electric guitar bits on i just thought it was sick so like he was one of the like he he massively influenced me like early on in my kind of music career so to meet him and be in a studio with him was just so surreal it was absolute madness so yeah that was all that was wild that was definitely one of my most starstruck moment ever and i pro- properly made a dick of myself i just did not know what to say it was like <laughs> what the f- is ed sheeran doing here <laughs> and i think you know what from you saying that he was a big inspiration for you and sort of he got you through those like uni years of trying to write to then being in the studio with him i think is a is a lovely sort of full circle point to end yeah yeah I think that's really nice. Um, I do want to say though, before we finish, congratulations on holding down such a stellar personal life. I think it is really beautiful when someone goes through all this with the same other half as you have done. Yeah, I mean, my missus. I yes. mean, it's the same for you. And it's Emily, your missus is called, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same as um, you guys, I guess. You've been together a long time, right? Yeah, we have, yeah. And we've especially been together through a lot of very critical stuff in my life through, like, me getting breakfast and then moving away from Kiss. And, you know, there's been a lot of stuff we've gone through together. And I think having that outside of work is the most important thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really hard to find somebody who gets... I think it's di- it's kind of difficult working in this line of work because a lot of sacrifices are made and there's a lot of ups and downs. There's not a lot of medium, but there's a lot of like, oh, I'm having such a bad week and then the next week you're doing something you never thought you'd ever get to do in your life. And having somebody that can keep you grounded and just completely on point 
is is Annie, and she's just the best. We've been together for nearly nine years now. Wow. So like before I even before I even went anywhere near meeting a label or, or a manager, like I met Annie, and uh, oh, I just love her so much, man. She's such a she's my rock. She's an absolute legend. So yeah, and uh, I'm excited to get married to her at some point in the e- near future <laughs> with Jamie Oliver catering the whole bloody thing. Exactly with Jamie Oliver catering for three thousand people. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Tom Walker, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Dangerous Dinners podcast. Before we let you go, there's a few things, a few admin bits. Uh, tonight, we had dirty fried chicken. Um, yes. Would you like to rate your meal? How much of it have you got through? I've got through like four of the wings, yes. a, a, a lot of chips. Yes. And because we've been talking so much, I've not even started on the chicken burger yet, but I am going gonna, gonna to dip into that now. But the wings were just exceptionally good. The chips came with this piri-piri salt. And I've still got like over a th- like two thirds of the container left, and I, the chips are so spicy. And I've actually touched my nose, and my, nu- my nose is on fire now because I don't know what is in this piri piri stuff. It is absolutely mental, but I'm kind of into that thing. So I'd give the whole experience definitely like a a solid seven out of ten. Oh. Tom Walker, it's been an absolute pleasure. We will <laughs> we will see each other post lockdown when the album comes out and you're touring worldwide and you're back to being absolutely crazy. Yeah, and you're like stuff. Thanks so much, lad, for having me on as well and talking to me. It's always a pleasure. Uh, it's the one, the only. It's Tom Walker. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Putting the star in one star reviews. It's the Dangerous Dinners podcast. Ah, and there he goes. There he goes. There he goes again. Sorry. Um. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom Walker, for being our guest on the Dangerous Dinners podcast. What a fantastic chat he was. What a lovely, bloody bloke. Another friendly, beardy bloke. We like them on this show. Um, Thank you so much for getting to this stage of the podcast and listening to the whole thing. My God, if you've got this far, surely I deserve a five-star review. Eh, Maybe think about it. Have a think. I'll give you some time to think. Seems fair, doesn't it? Scroll down to the bottom, slam that five-star button, and press the subscribe as well, and you'll never, ever miss an episode of the Dangerous Dinners podcast. It will just land in your virtual lap. So I will see you next week for another fun edition with a guest as they come over for a takeaway and a chinwag. Stay safe out there, be kind to each other, and I'll see you next week. Bye! Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 